This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast, the post-game edition number 12 of this 2022 football season. Daniel Gallen, Tyler Donahue with you, fresh out of Beaver Stadium, where we spent the last several hours in the press box, uh, then down on the field and with James Franklin and players in post-game setting. A bunch up on the site, lions247.com, something you definitely want to check out. Mark Brennan uh, had his camera out on the field during the final farewell for all, a lot of these senior players, some other guys who may be leaving the program after this season, an emotional moment for them after a 35-16 to 16 victory over Michigan State. Daniel, they accomplished their goal of going into November and coming out of it 4-0 and getting to 10 wins on the season. We have a lot to learn about their postseason fate. There's some moving pieces there. There's conference championships to be played. That'll all factor into what Penn State does for game number 13, but here in game number 12, it got a bit dicey in the fourth quarter, but largely the Nittany Lions score the first 14 points of the game. They score the final 14 points of the game. They cover the spread when it's all said and done with a 19-point win. And ultimately, it's just another one of those kind of Penn State-controlled-it victories, and that's four in a row. It's the type of game where you look at the final score and you know you, you kind of forget about how, how dicey it was in, in the fourth quarter. Like, when you're looking back at the 2022 Penn State yearbook, uh, I don't think the fact that it was a, a 21-16 game uh, early in the fourth quarter there, I, I don't think that that's something that's going to to really resonate. Um, you know, when you look back on this year, but it was a it was a good solid win by Penn State. I think it showed a lot of the things that we had seen, um, especially down the stretch from this team, like the types of things that they do against bad teams. Uh, which is something that James Franklin highlighted, where it's just really complimentary football. They got big plays uh, that led the points in pretty much every phase um, of the game tonight. And I think that that's really what has defined Penn State uh, in these games against Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, uh, and now Michigan State. There's you know, Maryland is probably the only one of these teams that's going to go bowling, depending on what happens with Michigan State's APR. So it's not really a, a murderer's row, but... I think that this month, in totality, it's 4-0. They did what they needed to do against the bad teams on the schedule. They didn't let those two losses in October derail their season. And now they're back at 10 wins for the first time since 2019. It wasn't just checking off, though. Here's one win, here's two wins, here's three wins, here's four wins. It was winning those games collectively by a score of 165 points to 40 points. Um, I gave those totals to P.J. Mustafer afterwards when we were talking to these guys. And he stopped for a second. He was like, wow. And, 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 and continuing on that, speaking with PJ, who's seen a lot with this locker room and, and year five as a two-time team captain, he sounds very convinced that this team, as currently constructed, as currently playing, 
is playing as good of football as he's really been around with this Nittany Lions locker room. And uh, it's difficult to kind of measure that up against who they've played, but you can only take on who you have in front of you on the schedule. And that's just the way it shaped up. And ultimately Michigan state wasn't where we thought they might be. And Maryland didn't show up in a thought in a way that we thought they might show up. And, and ultimately though, Penn state 19 points is the closest game they've dealt with in a while. And it's been a long time since we found ourselves in any of these second halves, Daniel, where it felt like it was hanging in the balance or one play could swing that pendulum. And of course, in this matchup, Penn State's up by five points all of a sudden. Michigan State does almost nothing offensively until they string together two 70-plus yard drives in the third quarter. It's a 21-16 to game uh, into the fourth quarter at that stage. Fourth and two on Michigan State's uh, 12-yard line. It looks like they're going to go heavy set. Uh, they've got the tight ends out there. We think maybe they're going to run with uh, Nick Singleton again up the middle instead. As you said, it explodes out uh, outward, and everybody's uh, all of a sudden it's uh, it's everybody's lined up wide. They've got a really well executed screen pass uh, to Nick Singleton. Uh, the tight ends do some blocking up front. James Franklin says it could have even been better executed, but the result of that fourth and two was a 12 yard touchdown catch uh, for Nick Singleton. Really well designed play. A lot of confidence, I thought, expressed not just by James Franklin and Mike Yersich, uh, but just across the board in getting that play done. Because if you don't convert that, things go awry. You're giving the Spartans the ball after two very long touchdown drives with an opportunity to take the lead in Beaver Stadium in the fourth quarter and really setting yourself up for disaster. So hats off to the play call. Nick Singleton has now found the end zone 12 different times as a freshman, 11 uh, or 10 times as a runner, one time as a receiver, and, and, and also once on a kickoff return last week. Um, and I think you've got to also give a lot of credit to the quarterback here, Sean Clifford, uh, who is the man dialing up that stuff pre-snap, getting everybody on the same page as we've seen it time and time again this season. Four touchdowns, five incompletions, really the way you want to go out if you're number 14. And I know a lot of his teammates took it very personally to be able to send him out with this kind of a performance. Definitely. I think that you have to start with Sean Clifford when, when you talk about this offensive performance, because I do think it was sort of the the classic uh, Sean Clifford performance that, we, that we've come to know and love over these past four years as a starter, uh, where you have some highs. Um, and then you have some lows. I mean, he was under pressure for really the first time that we'd seen since that Ohio State game. Uh, Michigan State was able to get into the backfield, take advantage of some things up front, um, and get Sean Clifford onto the ground. But I thought that when Penn State needed him, he really did make the big plays. Um, you look at that swing in, in the fourth quarter where it's a five-point game. Um, they have that fourth down. Um, you know, Jake Pinniger had already missed two field goals. Um, you know, it was clear that Penn State didn't want to put the ball uh, on his foot. And even if he did make the field goal, it's still a one touchdown game. It's only an, an eight point game at that point. Um, so I, I really like how aggressive they were uh, in going for it on the fourth down. Um, as for the play call, <laughs> I think as the ball was in the air traveling over to Nick Singleton on all the way on the wide side of the field in my head, I was like, I don't really know if that's the right <laughs> that's the right call there to, to string it out that far horizontally uh, in that situation. Obviously, Nick Singleton is a special player to make it work, but I really liked what Penn State did with Clifford in terms of really just going for the jugular um, in that fourth quarter. Kalen King picks off Peyton Thorne um, on the next drive. Penn State gets the ball at the 35-yard line. They immediately go deep. Sean Clifford hits Keandre Lambert-Smith. Uh, for the touchdown and it's a, it's over then that 
you know, that pretty much sealed the game that iced it. Um, you know, they were asking Clifford to put it away and he did, um, you know, four touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, I asked you Scruggs about what it would mean, what it meant to Sean Clifford to have that kind of performance on this stage, you know, his senior day, um, you know, we know, uh, what, what the crowd was saying, what the, how the crowd was reacting to him in that Minnesota game, uh, which was one month and four days ago. Um, and, you know, Juice Scruggs said that, you know, he felt that Clifford was really disrespected at times uh, over the course of the season um, and that Clifford is the best leader that he's been around because of how he's seen Clifford really navigate these waters, um, still be productive. Uh, Juice Scruggs uh, made sure to point out uh, that, that Clifford is the leader in pretty much every major passing category um, in Penn State history uh, over the course of his career. Um, and Scruggs was just very complimentary of the job that Clifford did, how he handled himself. And I think that it was a big deal to a lot of these players um, for Clifford to have this kind of game, to have this kind of showing, uh, to be able to go out on this type of note. Um, you know, PJ Mustafer had some pretty strong words in support of Clifford earlier this week. G. Scruggs said basically the same thing um, today. And I think that. Clifford really rose to the occasion uh, as he is wont to do uh, in some of these situations. So Clifford finishes the regular season, 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Last year he had 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions uh, over the course of those 13 games. Uh, and Daniel, one thing that you noted was his completion percentage for his career reaches that 61% mark. And while that may not sound like a lot, he is the all time leader in Nittany Lions quarterback history with that 61% pass completion mark. That was something that was news to me today. Obviously he holds the passing yardage record. He holds the passing touchdown record An extra year on campus is going to help him achieve a lot of that. Um, but the completion percentage is one thing that, that I think it just never been a necessarily strong suit, but I, I think ultimately you look back and, and say, well, yeah, well, I guess it wasn't necessarily a strong suit for trace and a lot of these other quarterbacks that have been held in high distinction, uh, look, Clifford, uh, he's going to be back for the bowl. He confirmed that he's going to you know, be there, there's no Clifford stepping aside and, and walking out of Beaver Stadium to his car and driving back to Cincinnati moment. Uh, he's going to stay with this team. He's going to be the QB one. We would imagine moving forward and, and Drew Aller is going to get a lot of work in bowl prep. Um, but I've got to say, uh, for, for as much as the focal point was on uh, Penn State and their ability to, to bounce back from what happened in Ohio State, so much of it was attached to well, is the quarterback, unless you change the quarterback, are you going to get different results? And Clifford had no turnovers in, in the last three games here, Daniel, and that, that was a big part of the process. He threw an early interception on the road at Indiana that had people wondering, oh, no, is this just going to carry over from Ohio State? That ended up being his only turnover of the month of November. The team goes 4-0. Sean Clifford, overall, you look at the numbers, this was kind of an outlier with the four touchdowns. He was a ball manager for, 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 for a lot of this month, and it was a lot about those freshman running backs and relying on the defense. But uh, today, like you said, he got to apply the finishing touches with, with that shot down the field to Keandre Lambert-Smith. Um, and then Keandre Lambert-Smith also got into the act with his own touchdown pass to Theo Johnson, who had a couple catches. So five touchdown passes through the air today for Penn State. And I'll repeat this, five incompletions through the air for Penn State. Um, it wasn't the the ground game uh, you know, setting that we had anticipated uh, that that may come to fruition. I think you predicted a, a couple hundred yard perform a couple hundred yard rush rushers. I thought maybe I get fireworks out of Singleton and Allen. 
you know, combined, they, they were at 160 rushing yards on 38 total carries. Um, so solid work that's, that's going to be above 40 yards per clip, but not the explosive fireworks that we've maybe become accustomed to. Singleton added that a little bit later with that 12-yard touchdown reception. But again, I think a lot of this goes back to playing in control of the football, in control of your offense, and then allowing this defense to do what it has done over the course of this entire month. And, and really going back beyond that, they've had moments, but this month, this defense has been in lockstep. I think we saw the defense really get stressed for the first time in, in a while today too, which was, it had it, been a while. I mean, Rutgers was able to do a couple things uh, thanks to a long kickoff return and then the, the long pass to, to Sean Ryan from, from Gavin Wimsett. But those Michigan state wide receivers today, Keon Coleman, um, uh, Jaden Reed and Trey Mosley, uh, those guys were making tough catches. They were making contested catches uh, on the one Malik touchdown. Had a touchdown catch oh, too. Um, yeah, the, I mean, that was a fantastic catch matched up. Kobe King couldn't have played it much better. He, you saw that get get telegraphed. I thought by the way that um, the way that Penn State was lined up, Johnny Dixon was the the deep man in the middle of the field because of where the safeties were playing, who they were matched up with, and you saw Malik Carr motion out with Kobe King one on one. Uh, and you, you could kind of see that one coming, but it's good coverage by Kobe King, but Malik Carr just made a really, really nice catch. Um, but yeah, like Michigan state, those guys were able to pull the ball in. Um, they had that touchdown drive, uh, where they had converted three third and longs, including, I believe it was a third and 18. Um, they, you know, they were able to, to move the ball a little bit, but Penn state was able to, to stiffen really when they needed to. Um, in that in the second half, I think that Kalen King interception was big. He was really busy tonight with five pass breakups. Um, and it was kind of it was a good test for them. I mean, this defense has really been kind of, um, you know, for lack of a better term on on cruise control uh, because they were playing so well up front. Um, you know, the, they were playing complimentary football. So the offense was getting big leads and they were just really able to, to pin their ears back. Um, you know, we saw that against Maryland. We definitely saw that against Rutgers, um, and today it was it was a game. You know, we saw some we saw Michigan State land a couple punches, uh, which quite frankly had not happened in a really long time um, against this defense. And we saw the Penn State defense counterpunch. Kalen King was a part of that. Jair Brown was a part of that, and Abdul Carter was a part of that yet again. Uh, two sacks, seven tackles. Um, made a play that did not make it into the stat sheet because it got wiped out by holding uh, where he blitzed Peyton Thorne, jumped up, knocked the ball down um, when, when Peyton Thorne was trying to throw a pass deep in his own territory. I mean, it was just uh, Abdul Carter was all over the place. Um, when you know, you look at where Penn State is lining up on defense, you always look for number 11, see how close he is to the ball because you know he's going to end up around it. And like James Franklin said uh, after the game, when he gets there, he's got bad intentions. He has been just phenomenal. I mean, we've we focused so much on these running backs and rightly so what, what they've done. Um, but what Abdul Carter has become in front of our faces and what he means to the future of this defense um, and, and the easy tie in that you can do to the, the most recent number 11 in this linebacker unit with Micah Parsons, who's now an absolute superstar at the NFL level. So there's a lot of fun here um, and it's not hype. I mean, this is tangible results on a week 
week basis. Abdul Carter was selected our Lions 24-7 uh, player of the week last week against Rutgers based on fan votes. And he certainly had a case last week to be Big Ten freshman of the year, uh, uh, of the week, I should say. Went to Katron Allen, his teammate. He's got a case again this week, man. He's got three tackles for loss. That gives him 10 and a half on the season. That leads all Nittany Lions in the regular season. He had two sacks. That gives him six and a half on the season. That leads Penn State on the season. We're talking about a true freshman linebacker leading this team in tackles for loss and sacks under a pretty complex first-year defensive coordinator scheme. And, oh, by the way, he didn't show up to campus until the summer, and he's made, what, four starts at this point. I mean, there are just piles of things that are that are just racking up now that you can point to and say this is a special talent um and, and just talking with the team talking with the team afterwards and, and hearing from a guy like pj mustafer who didn't shy away from from saying look i go back to preseason camp and i saw the michael parsons comparison so people aren't shying away from that they haven't been and now we're really starting to understand exactly why because that's what he's putting on the field um and and you think about all american freshman all-american candidacy that has gone from candidacy to what I feel should be a really a lock at this point. If, if Abdul Carter is not one of those linebackers on the freshman American team, we're going to have to take a long look at who those three other talents were because they must have had ridiculously sensational seasons. Um, and, and and with Carter, uh, the, the thing that's really exciting here, Daniel, is you know, he is a guy because of the way he can get after the, the, the into the backfield. You can line him up in different spots. They've talked about him. Manny Diaz talked just a month ago about wanting to conjure up new ways to get him after the quarterback. Well, mission accomplished because, what, five of the last six games, he has at least a half a sack, at least a share of a sack. And as we said, now leading the team in that department. Give Manny Diaz a full offseason with this young fella to spend together in the film room, to spend together in team facilities. I don't want to go too far uh, you know, over the skis here and start talking about next season, but this is the kind of – game wrecker and that's what he is i know james franklin didn't want to go out and outright say it in the press conference because i asked him to but he is the kind of defensive game wrecker that penn state has been pounding the table for in the recruiting trail i think they've got some other guys in the pipeline who are going to be those kind of players right now but he is locked in as that guy and to do to, to be able to make that statement now 12 games into his career really 11 because he was ejected on the first defensive snap against purdue wow Hats off to everyone who's been involved in him get, since he got to campus, but also you got to give Abdul Carter himself a ton of credit. Kaitlin King said something really that stood out to me in his post-game press conference. He said when he sees Abdul Carter in team facilities and on the practice field, he understands what a professional looks like. He's talking about a freshman in his first <laughs> it's their first semester on campus. It's 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 really wild. Yeah, when, when you're talking about all the counting stats with Abdul Carter, I, I was going to make sure to point out that it's basically 11 games uh, mm -hmm. after what happened in, in, in that Purdue game, which just adds to it even more. And then when you consider that, you know, he's still a freshman, he wasn't starting, they were working him in um, in different packages. But Kalen King also said that he, he doesn't think Abdul Carter knows how good he is where he just makes a play and he doesn't necessarily realize what he just did um, mm. or the degree of difficulty for it. Um, and I think that it's, it's pretty high praise to hear that from Kalen King. I mean, even though he hasn't been on campus for that long, he's only a, a sophomore. He was the guy in this class of 2021 on the defensive side of the ball that from day one, they were talking about him, that they're talking about how good he could be um, the impact that he would be able to make on the defense that secondary last year was deep enough that he didn't necessarily need to play in that every down role. 
Um, but he was kind of in a similar position to Abdul Carter last year, you know, starting by the end of the season, playing a heavy workload, uh, making some plays here and there. So he's not too far removed from where Abdul Carter is. And he's really been able to see uh, how he's developed and what he's been able to do. If we want to do another <laughs> number 11 comparison to the to the guy with the Cowboys right now, uh, Manny Diaz talking about how to get Abdul Carter after the quarterback, you know, having unique ways of it. That also tracks with what we've seen the Cowboys do with Micah Parsons, where, you know, he came in as the off ball linebacker. That's probably why he went outside of the top 10 uh, in the draft. But once they realized that you could put him at edge rusher, you could move him around, let him get after the quarterback and that he, he, he was able to, to make plays that really unlocked, um, I think, another level with that Dallas defense. And I think that Penn State has kind of figured out something similar with that. Um, where they know that Abdul Carter can get to the quarterback so quickly. Uh, it helps when you have someone like Curtis Jacobs who can also get there quickly, like we saw last week against Rutgers, someone like Jair Brown who can do that as well, like we saw uh, tonight when he got after Peyton Thorne. Um, but it, yeah, Abdul Carter just unlocks so much. When you have that kind of talent, it is going to be really fun this offseason to, to think about what they do, um, how creative they can be, and I think that Manny Diaz has shown that he's just super, super proactive about moving guys around, getting into getting them into the right position. Because when Parsons was here, that was kind of the big thing for his third year. It was going to be he was at point A, then he went to point B, then he's going to be at point C where he's yeah. going to get after the quarterback. Because of COVID, that never happened. But I think that with Abdul Carter, we've seen him at point A, point B, and point C all in his first year uh, under Manny Diaz. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We never got to see Micah Parsons unleashed as an as a pass rusher. We we certainly thought that was coming in 2020 because of so many things. It did not. Um, by the way, six and a half sacks. That's what Micah Parsons had in his entire Penn State career, which is a two year career. Um, Abdul Carter hits that already. Uh, and just going quickly back to Micah Parsons freshman year. Of course, everyone remembers he didn't start. Koa Farmer started, but he led the team in tackles with 82 of them. He had four tackles for loss as a freshman. In 13 games, he had one and a half sacks. Again, Abdul Carter at 10 and a half tackles for a loss, six and a half sacks in 11 essentially games of this season. You mentioned Kalen King. We probably shouldn't be attributing quotes about other people or about from Kalen King to other people. We should probably be giving some love to the cornerback himself because five pass breakups that, that features an interception. And he came into this matchup, Daniel, with 13 pass breakups on the season. 
he is at 18. I don't know what everyone did around him, but the power five leader coming into this week had 14 pass breakups. So he's either the new power five leader or he's very much in contention to finish the regular season that way. And oh, by the way, this is the other cornerback when everyone talks about the Penn State secondary. It was surprising to see him get so many targets tonight. It was kind of like the the opposite of what we saw in week one at Purdue, where we were kind of all like, why is Purdue throwing at Joey Porter Jr. every single time? It was um, back and, tonight. I don't think we put yeah. that out there. Joey Porter was back, limited. James Franklin said he wasn't full go, but also said doctors cleared him. He wanted to play. It says a lot about what Joey Porter thinks about this Penn State football program, I think. Definitely. We, we saw him start uh, at right cornerback opposite Kalen King. Um, did not see too much of him after the early going. Uh, we saw a lot of Johnny Dixon over there, which is what it was. Um, through the first, uh, you know, over the, these past two weeks with Joey Porter Jr. sidelined. Um, but Kalen King was in the center of the action, and more often than not, it felt like he was up to the task. Um, Michigan State, those guys did make some contested catches. Um, there, there were some guys running free underneath that Michigan State was able to take advantage of. Um, but Kalen King, I think that we've learned that he plays really well downhill. Um, we saw that a lot. Uh, in the Ohio State game and also against Indiana. He had another tackle for loss uh, tonight. Um, when he gets ahead of steam, he's a pretty sure tackler, it feels like. Um, and he's able to diagnose, get downhill, get guys onto the ground. Uh, his ball skills are good. You know, we saw that uh, finally you know, turning one of those PVUs into an INT, and we saw how big of an, of an impact that that can make uh, by just completing that play. And I, I had kind of an interesting conversation with him after the game where, you know, those Michigan State receivers were making some really tough catches. Uh, there was one Trey Mosley catch over the middle that was basically grazed Jair Brown's fingertips. Um, and that got Michigan State down inside the Penn State 10 on that long drive. And so I asked Kalen King about, you know, it, cornerback's hard. You're going to get beat. Uh, how do you bounce back from it? You have to be able to flush it. And, he talked about that it's something that he had to learn when he got to college because when he was in high school, no one was beating him. Or if he got beat, it was maybe once a game, maybe twice. So that was something when he came in as a freshman, he had to get used to. And so I asked him the obvious question. So does Jahan Dotson get a lot of credit for helping you with that? And he said, definitely that going up against a first round pick when he still should have been a high school senior uh, really helped his learning curve, really helped him get up to speed. Uh, and now I think he's really been able to hit his stride and be a, a cornerstone player in that secondary. He's set to return next year. Um, we'll wait and see with Johnny Dixon, who was not honored during senior day, even though he's in his, his fourth year um, and is a traditional senior uh, in terms of eligibility. Uh, so we'll see how that shakes out over these next couple of weeks. But Penn State, it really is in good shape uh, moving forward. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., in addition to starting today, was also honored uh, pregame during senior day. He is a redshirt junior, so that's an academic senior. Um, I think that you can kind of read between the lines on what that means uh, in terms of his NFL aspirations. But I think that Kalen King showed that they're in good shape. They're still cornerbacks at Penn State. There's still guys that are going to be able to make plays in the secondary. 
And just to follow up on the on the Porter note, uh, Olu Fashionu remains sidelined. We didn't see him the entire month of November. Drew Shelton remains the man at left tackle. He burned his red shirt last week. And then uh, we did not see Kevon Lee again. Have not seen him since game six of this season uh, on, on, the, on the field for game action. He's still part of this program. Uh, but again, down to just those two scholarship freshmen. And even more dicey at running back today with no Tank Smith available. So you were going from Singleton and, and Allen all the way to Tyler Holsworth, who joined the program this year as a walk-on. That's where running back is, but because of the play of those two freshmen and because of their ability to hold up physically so far, has a bit of storyline. It easily could have become one uh, if things went awry here in November. Sticking on the offensive side of the football, but going to the tight end room, it has been an area that we wondered really through the first half of the season, is it going to take off for this group? Brenton Strange was having a great season, but Tyler Warren, Theo Johnson were, were really offensive afterthoughts in terms of the production sheet uh, through the first half of this year. Now, Warren was dealing with some bumps and bruises. He's gotten back into the groove. He had a big day today. He had a fumble recovery on special teams. He's a very underrated special teams player. Everybody talks about him being that athletic freak of a tight end, a guy who could maybe you know they flip that switch at any time. We've seen some flashes from him, but what he's able to do in special teams coverage led Jonathan Sutherland and special teams ace for this team to say he could be your number zero next year. He could be that guy who fills the the number zero role that's given to the the special team stalwart of this team. But Tyler Warren showing what he can do uh, as a receiver as well. Just uh, what was it? Two plays later after he he picks up that fumbled uh, punt punt return, scores on a touchdown. Great ball placement from Sean Clifford. He does the rest of the work with a fantastic grab working toward the sideline in the end zone. At that point, it felt like that swing play, you know, those two plays by Tyler Warren, we're going to put the game out of reach. It was 21 to three. As we've already addressed, uh, there was there was more fire for this Michigan State team than maybe we gave them credit for coming into the week. We thought they go down 21 to three in the third quarter. This might be a team that folds up to their credit. They had two long touchdown drives. They kept the pressure on Penn State. Uh, Theo Johnson, though, two touchdowns, both wide open. Uh, he scored the first two touchdowns of this game. And what he has done in the second half of this season, to me, serves as a major springboard for him for this offense, for his professional prospects, because I'll tell you what, this guy's going to light it up in a combine setting whenever he has a chance. Daniel, through six weeks of the season, big caveat here, he missed the first two contests with an injury, but he had two catches for 19 yards when this team was at 5-1 and one after the Michigan matchup. Since then, 17 catches, 281 yards, four touchdowns. I don't know what Brenton Strange is going to do after this uh, after this season. He's got a decision to make as a guy who's been with the program for four years and is coming off a career best in production. But Theo Johnson, to me, is such a storyline as we assess how the offense has evolved. And it's been a lot of positives here for the last four or five weeks, six weeks. Um, and his involvement as a central figure, as a guy who is a threat is very important to me because you were wondering if, if this might just end up as another bit of a lost season in terms of Theo Johnson as being a cog. And that has changed dramatically in the last month and a half. The, the tight end production this year paints a, a pretty interesting picture where Brenton Strange surpassed last year's production in the first half of the season, whereas Theo Johnson matches or surpasses his production from last year in the second half of the season. Both of those guys were able to step up make some really big plays. And I think for Theo Johnson, what we saw that through the second half of the season was I think what a lot of us were expecting to see this whole season. Uh, when you talk about Theo Johnson, he was the guy during winter workouts uh, that was getting the shout outs every single week. It felt like uh, from Ty Howell, from the, the strength staff at large, uh, you knew uh, what he was listed at, at the roster, six foot six, two sixty. 
you know, there'd been kind of little tantalizing looks at what he was able to do. I think early last year, he had that stretch of four straight games with at least one catch of 20 yards. Um, we saw him make some plays in the open field when he had the ball in his hands last year. So there's a lot of excitement, obviously a slow start, but he really did kick it into gear down the stretch. And I think that it kind of speaks to the, to what else Penn state has on offense in terms of um, the ability to, uh, you know, take up attention and be able to free up Theo Johnson so that he was wide open. I mean, that, that play for Keandre Lambert Smith uh, to, to hit him for that 48 yard touchdown, it was just really drawn up where all of the underneath uh, defenders got sucked up. Uh, Xavier Henderson was in center field. He also probably took a couple too many steps forward uh, and there was just no catching Theo Johnson uh, on, on the other side of that play. Um, you know, he's just, you look at him physically and you just know that he's going to kill it at a combine that the numbers are, are going to be up there with those measurements. Um, and it's just a matter of, of when that will happen. But there are a lot of questions this year about tight end usage. I think that it was still a little bit inconsistent, but at the same time, given what Bretton Strange did in the first half of the year, what Theo Johnson did in the second half of the year and what you got out of Tyler Warren here and there. I mean, that catch today was real. It was a really, really nice play. Defender was all over him. He was able to reach around and grab it. Um, I think that the, I think Ty Howell did a good job of getting this group ready to play. And I think Mike Yersich did a good job of keeping them involved, um, you know, throughout the, throughout the season. There are obviously a couple games here and there, especially in October, where it felt like you could have seen a little bit more Brenton Strange, maybe a little bit more Theo Johnson. Um, but I think that that was rectified nicely. Um, another caveat for the offense, no Parker Washington tonight. So that's an, that's freeing up some targets uh, for those tight ends for some of the other wide receivers. And targets aside, what they've done and how they've grown as blockers has been a big part of the success for Penn State. We saw that on the, on the Nick Singleton touchdown. Uh, tight ends helping leading that charge. Uh, overall, I think the body of work that Brenton Strange specifically has put together from game one to game 12 has been really strong, but other guys carrying their weight as well. And Tyler Warren doesn't have a long highlight reel at this point in his career, but it is a pretty highlight reel. It feels like whatever he is making a catch, it's one that, that sticks with you. He's boxing out a defender somehow. Uh, really curious to see what comes next for Tyler Warren um, in his Penn State football career. Uh, but, but really quickly, another third-year guy we talked about, Theo Johnson, before we finish up this episode, got to shed some light on what Keandre Lambert-Smith was able to do. Another player, as I said, like Theo, in year three, a lot of people circling him as, as a breakout candidate at wide receiver. Jahan Dotson's moved on, even though you brought in a Mitchell Tinsley. Um, and to this point, it just hadn't been working for Keandre Lambert-Smith in, in, in terms of production. He had five catches for 20 yards through the first three games of November getting the ball, not doing much with it, not having the opportunity to, to work in space. And to this point in the season, 16 catches, 182 yards, two scores. What does he do tonight? Five catches, 83 yards. He catches a touchdown, and then he throws that touchdown, as we said, to Theo Johnson. We saw Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, toss a, a pass at Auburn earlier in the season, and he was quick to remind us after that one, hey, I was a legit quarterback at a younger age. He says everyone says they played quarterback when they were a kid. He says he was legit and he could have stayed there if he wanted. James Franklin made it a point. That was a really impressive pass because it's funny. You practice these things all week, sometimes all season, and the wide receiver or whoever's throwing a pass might be a running back. 
they're convinced and they're trying to tell everybody, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's call the play. The moment comes and then they throw a duck or they can't get a, a good firm. I mean, you've seen a play out in the NFL. So Keandre Lambert-Smith got his number called, caught the pass from, from Sean Clifford behind the line of scrimmage and then dialed up, uh, the, the, you know, dropped the dime to, to Theo Johnson, who fortunately had no defender near him. So it made things a bit easier. But Keandre Lambert-Smith, he faces an interesting offseason ahead. He's got a lot to assess with where he's at. Penn State's got a lot to assess with where he's at as well. Um, this is a really good late positive step in a season that was kind of missing those from the junior. G. Scruggs said that they had been repping that play in practice, but they hadn't been repping it at full speed. Uh, so Keandre Lambert-Smith in practice, was you know he was trying to gauge, okay, in a real game, how hard do I throw it? Um, you know, how, how is this going to look? And you know, I think that they ran it to perfection. It helped that Michigan State bit really, really hard. So Theo Johnson was wide open, um, but just a nice play by Keandre Lambert-Smith. And he was someone who coming into this year, the way that Taylor Stubblefield had kind of laid it out on that linear projection from year one to year two to year three, that he was going to be in line for a big year. Um you know, especially with Jahan Dotson leaving um, with what Penn State needed to replace and it's receiving production. And it didn't really come to fruition in that way. Um, I think that you do have to really factor in the running games emergence this year where there's a reason Jahan Dotson had so many yards and so many catches last year. There was a reason why Parker Washington had a lot of catches and yards last year. That's what the offense had to do. The offense didn't have to throw as much this year. They had a lot more guys that they could lean on. But at the same time, Keandre Lambert-Smith, earlier in the year, he was flashing a little bit here and there. He had the big catch against Purdue. Um, he was someone that you knew if he had the ball in his hands, he could make a couple guys miss. Maybe he could get open over the top. I just wasn't there on a consistent basis. But I think that this was just a really nice game for him. You know, Penn State really liked to utilize him on those bubble screens, those quick passes. Uh, you saw it last week, three catches for nine yards at Rutgers, just not a pretty stat line. Um, but he was getting open downfield a little bit more. He had the 35-yard touchdown. And then he had another catch on a really nice route um, along the sideline that helped move the chains uh, for Penn State uh, in that fourth quarter, I believe. Um, but he's someone where you know he has the physical tools. Um, the big thing with him has been that consistency, the mental side of the game. He's always said that he's made some pretty significant strides with that. Um, he was honest with us earlier this month when he was asked how the season went, and he pretty much straight up said that, yeah, he didn't expect it to be going like this. Um, so it will be interesting to see what this means for him this offseason. There's a lot of guys that have um, you know, a lot of decisions to make in a number of directions, um, and I am very curious to see what happens with him, what his role can be moving forward, and what he can do to, to take a next step um, to get back onto that development trajectory that Taylor Stubblefield had really laid out for him. Well, we'll, we'll follow up. We have a lot to follow up in the upcoming week because this is like, it's like a week for us to catch our thoughts from the regular season. And then we got the transfer portal opening up on the 5th of December. And we're told that's going to be big. If you haven't heard about that already, uh, signing days coming up and all that, we got to learn the bowl destination. That'll come <laughs> next Sunday. Uh, so we'll learn the 13th opponent on this Penn State schedule next Sunday. All the conference championships will be done. Daniel, myself, and our colleagues, we're, we're all having these conversations in the press box. Where should we be looking for travel to? Um, 
there's New Year's Six Bowls in play. We've talked about the Cotton Bowl. We've talked about uh, the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, Ohio State, Michigan State, or Ohio State, Michigan. That matchup obviously has tremendous implications. Ohio State, if they if they occupy that Rose Bowl slot, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So Domino's got to fall, Daniel. But if you're Penn State. You controlled what you can control. Uh, fourth time in seven years under James Franklin uh, that this team has gone for double-digit win total. It felt very much needed for this program and getting that pulse back up a little bit after an 11 on 11 stretch the last couple of years. And I did the numbers, uh, did the digging a little bit because you're always looking for some perspective with something like this. And the last time Penn State went double-digit wins four times in a seven-year span was from 1991 through 1997 um we don't know what lies ahead for this program but and i know people want to see those ohio state and michigan losses off the board but this is a tangible step a necessary step and you can understand why james franklin walks in and out of this press conference feeling really good about the way his team has performed um i don't think they left a lot of questions about their motivation their talent and perhaps most importantly in today's day and age where we're always thinking what's going to happen next about their ascending nature of the program. I think that's important here. It's not just a team that was finishing out the run uh, with it, with a veteran group of guys. This is a team that was figuring out itself while piling up these points. And I think that's really the exciting dynamic here when you kind of compare their 10 and two against some other 10 and twos that we might find in college football this year. Definitely. I, I talked to Jair Brown a little bit about that uh, post game because he came in in 2020. They're coming off three 11 win seasons in four years, 42 wins over that span. I think that a lot of people were expecting them to build off that cotton bowl uh, in 2020 COVID happens. We all know it happens those next two years. And this week, a lot of the players talked about the importance of getting back to 10 wins and what that would mean. Jair Brown said it earlier this week that this is a 10 win program Uh, should be winning double digit games year in and year out. And he talks about his legacy what he left at Penn state and he wanted to leave Penn state, uh, you know, in a better place than, than he found it, that he wanted it to be back up to that standard where the younger guys on the roster can take it and run with it. And he hopes Mm -hmm. that his example um, is something that they can draw from. He hopes that he set the example to the younger players can follow so that they can take what Penn state accomplished this year and spin it forward. Um, but I think that getting back to 10 wins is significant to this program. They have the chance to win the 11th game. You match the number of games you won in the previous two seasons. You, It's a young team. There's There should be a good core there moving forward. There's something to build off of. But this was that first step, it felt like, to get back to that point, get your feet back under you, get a foundation. Now, let's go. Let's build. P.J. Mustafer said that he will be angry if this freshman class does not win Big Ten championships and get to a national championship college football playoff situation. He says he has those kind of expectations for this group, and he believes they're going to get it done. So uh, that, that's where we are in the season. You're always you're focused on what's happening right now, but we're certainly starting to put an eye toward the future, uh, and that's what a lot of this December is going to be about as well. Daniel, it's been fun on these post-game podcasts, uh, whether we're coming out of Beaver Stadium or doing this thousands of miles away. Uh, appreciate it uh, on these late nights, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again real soon on another edition here. But that's going to do it for this post-game podcast. 
following a 35 to 16 Penn State victory over the Michigan State Spartans. Again, a 4 0 November, a 10 and 2 regular season, and now Penn State awaits their 13th opponent in bowl play. For Daniel, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Lions 24 7 podcast. We'll be back next week with some more episodes. Going to focus in on the upcoming recruiting and transfer portal madness, uh, but not before we take a look back at this 12th game. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.